was there ever you know a, a low point or a failure point where you guys took a big lesson and learned from that oh my god there have been a million oh, yeah <laughs> i can remember it was covid i'm pretty sure um it's all running together but i think it was covid and like things were just stagnant you know we realized what, when we can look at it from a bigger picture we were gaining market share and all these other things but we reached a point where we were like do we how far do we want to keep pressing this do we get smaller instead of being in growth mode and that's something that we've always you know tried to figure out and balance is like how big do we want to get do we want to scale it back a little bit things felt really overwhelming in that time but i think stayed the course and learned a lot of lessons figured out how to convert virtually and do all of these other things. And I think that it, I don't know anybody that's gone through that doesn't run their business better, that isn't a better attorney, a better business 100%. owner. Yep. And, you know, a better HR person, better with your staff. You have to figure that stuff out to keep people happy and employed during times like that. I'll kind of plus one on that. I mean, I think that when, you know, the nice thing about it, when we were going through that journey and trying to make these decisions, we were coming at it from a place of trying to maintain profitability. So it was more of a, I know I can be profitable at this top line number. You, you know what I mean? Do we scale a few things back and make some adjustments, maintain a little better profitability till we kind of weighed this out? And then, you, you know, the decisions you're making once you get the systems in place are better decisions to have to make, you know, but it, there's always going to be, you know, setbacks and you just readjust and keep plugging along, I think. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Master Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. Hey, Michael, today I'm super excited. It, it looks like we have an abundance of members who have gone through our EAY, our Entrepreneurial Attorney of the Year contest, and have made it to the finalist level and started competing for the Entrepreneurial Attorney of the Year. And today's no exception. We've got with us two amazing guests that have a wonderful story, husband and wife, both attorney team, Brent and Terry. Westbrook, and I'm excited for today's conversation. Michael, how about you? Oh, I'm super stoked. And, and Brent and Terry, welcome on. Super excited to have you guys here. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having us. Good to see both of you. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, one of the things we like to kick off, and you guys can do this individually or together, but let's start by giving the audience a little icebreaker. What's something that maybe not everybody knows about you? Hmm. I would say, I guess for, for me, and you guys may know this, but just that we live out on a farm and have livestock and we have sheep and cattle and chickens and that I did not grow up around that stuff. So anybody that knew me as a, you know, in high school would not believe that probably, but that's what we do now. And it's great. We love kind of being out of ways and having that as our second, you know, not job, but you know, depending hot, on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same, that we were in um, a suburb of St. Louis, and when the pandemic hit, we moved out to a farm, and we're on about 40 acres, and just kind of leaned into farm life with our daughter, Savannah. She's seven. So. Yeah. So, Savannah digging it? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, she loves it. Yeah. yeah. So is, it, is it like an active farm where you raise your own food, or no? Like... I mean, we could. I'm, okay. We tend to name the animals, and then well, I was just going to say, really like, if you them. do that, it's no yeah. naming the animals, right? So I was wondering how Savannah dealt with that. <laughs> yeah. No. So we haven't gotten good at that part yet. We're just more okay. like 
fun farmers. <laughs> we yeah, bottle good. fed our sure. cows, so like they're used to us. We can like go out in the field, call them. They come up to us. We pet them. Like they're like big dogs. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's impressive. We get eggs from the chickens, so <laughs> yeah, you know, and we have a garden. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know that we want to eat Fred. Yep, I get yeah. it. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. That's awesome. All right. Sorry, I just took a weird turn there, Michael. Go ahead. I, I, I derailed. That's that. all right. That That's what you do on these podcasts, you know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, Brent and Terry, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit? Obviously, there's probably a lot to it, but some of the broad strokes of your entrepreneurial journey as a law firm owner. Why, why don't you give everyone just a little context? I'll defer to you, Brent. <laughs> okay, so sure. So when I came out of law school, I worked for another firm that did bankruptcy work in Kansas City. Great people learned how to be a lawyer, how to connect with clients, you know, and learned that I liked the bankruptcy practice, helping clients, you know, get a fresh start, all of those things. And then, you know, we decided to make a move. I think in a bankruptcy firm where you're doing mostly consumer bankruptcy cases, at some point, you're probably going to go out on your own. You, you, you know, at least a lot of lawyers are if they kind of feel that entrepreneurial bug. And I certainly did. So we came, we moved, bought a commercial building here in St. Charles. And I started out and, you know, just had that spirit of we're going to do whatever it takes to succeed. I was in here doing direct mail campaigns on Saturday. Every Saturday, I get the list you know, sign my own letters and address them. And before I had any systems to, to do anything, you know, it was just me in an office and Terry was working for another firm. Again, great people. We lucked out with the people that we started with and we had our daughter. So when we had our daughter, she had some immune system issues and really couldn't be in a daycare setting because she would just get sick all the time. So and Terry really had, or at least one of us kind of had to be available because we were running to doctor's appointments all the time. You know, we just couldn't, you know, be in court every morning. Hey, judge, sorry, another doctor's appointment, you know. So when she was doing that, daughter was sick. We started kind of realizing we had to change things. And that's when, you know, we came out to a partners club event. And I think Terry thought she was going to sit by the pool the whole it was time. In Arizona. So I was, was like, it, sure, I'll go. It was an easy, <laughs> yeah. It was shoot. And so I wanted her to come too. And, you know, when you're out on your own, I think a lot of us, and at least I did, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I'm trying to take in all the information, right? So, and probably one of the, you know, some of the same podcasts all of us listen to, Tim Ferriss and, you know, all the productivity, automation, all of those things. And I felt like, you know, once we came out and started learning about the systems to implement, and really we learned all of the information that I was trying to get on my own as applied to a law firm, where it was just, it really, I think, shortened our progression time to, uh, yeah, just to grow and have a better work-life balance as we're raising our daughter. But then we just started focusing more on the business, you know, creating systems, putting people in place, you know, to run the systems and measuring things that when we started measuring, you know, perfect client life cycle, the, you know, lead set shows, hires, it gave us an organization where the work that we did moved the needle. 
you know, so that's when we started kind of seeing growth and knew that the work we were putting into the firm was moving the needle. So a mm-hmm. uh, couple of comments, Michael, real quick, a plus one. First of all, like yeah. that entrepreneurial journey, you know, Brent, that you talked about, about on Saturday, stuffing envelopes, putting yeah. direct mail out. I mean, like that is so stereotypical of the entrepreneur heart, right? And so that there are other attorneys out there that are just like you that are, you know, they're doing the same stuff. They're doing whatever they have to do. And, and maybe it's not direct mail today because it's not as sexy as it once was. Maybe they're trying to figure out a Facebook ad campaign or go on TikTok or whatever it is for them. Right. But on, they're spending their Saturdays trying to figure out how to grow their business because and, and, and they're going, which brings me to my second point, they're going out to the world to find this place of information where they can figure out, okay, this is what business owners should do. And then they try to translate that into what that means for a law firm. And so I love that you said that because that's exactly what this podcast is designed for to curate this information that's out there everywhere else, but not specifically mentioned about how a law firm should grow and provide that to other attorneys just like you. But I'm curious, Terry, while Brent was going through this, so you have a bar card too. Were, Were you practicing? Did you have a job to bring it? You know, what did you do? Did you raise Savannah like full time? Like what did your life look like and and how did you finally come into the fold? Yeah, so I was practicing. I had been at a firm in Kansas City and um, they had a ton of work on this side of the state where we had moved. So, well, we hadn't moved yet, but we wanted to. And so I had gone to them and proposed, what if I work remote and I, instead of you guys paying local counsel, I just cover the entire, that half of the state, I will be there. And we did it on a trial run basis for like six months where I just traveled back and forth for a while until we kind of figured it out. And then we were able to move. And so I worked full time for them. And the goal had always been to go in with Brent, but Brent had kind of plateaued a little bit. Like he was filing, you know, a standard amount of cases a month. Everything was good, but we didn't really have a need to bring me in. And I was scared to let go of my job and my income and all those things. But then when Mm -hmm. Sabina was born and my job required me to be in court like five days a week and I couldn't do that anymore. And so then I paired back to part-time where I wasn't doing court appearances, but I was doing correspondence discovery, other things on the side and did that for a while just to kind of keep things afloat. By that time we had joined the program, we had started learning about these processes. So while I wasn't working with Brent, I was kind of building things out on the back end, like while he was doing direct mail, (laughs) I was doing all the other stuff. And so we got to a place then where I could officially go in with Brent uh, full time. I think it was in 2019. That's uh, right before the pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was 18 or 19 right in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we've been full time ever since. I don't really do the, the lawyering. With Brent, I do more of office management and processes and workflows and, and those sorts of things. I, I dare ask, which do you think is more important? The lawyering or the processes and the business management, office management? I think they're both necessary. There you go. Good answer. Good answer. I mean, one can't exist without the other. Not well, anyway. And so... My parents were, you know, they've owned a business my whole life. My grandpa started it. My parents run it now. I was used to, you know, couples working together. I was used to working Saturdays, working Sundays, having dinner at 9 p.m. as a family. Like, I grew up in in and around that. So it's just been a natural. Some people are like, how can you guys 
work together every day. And I'm like, it just works. We do, we focus on different things and I'm just used to that. So it doesn't seem odd to me. Yeah. It works well for us. Michael, I know this is about Brett and Terry, but I'm curious, you're an entrepreneur and and you obviously grew up in a family where you saw that too, right? Work Saturdays, work Sundays, work together. How did that affect your view? You're now going to be married. And I think you and your fiance are almost never apart. Is that right? Did that affect your view as you were growing up as well? Uh, well, obviously, it, for me, it actually helped gain perspective on how things should look to an extent and also maybe how things don't shouldn't look in some areas, too, right? <laughs> Are you Isn't suggesting it, you know? that my wife, my East Coast Italian bride <laughs> and I ever fought or argued or had disagreements <laughs> in the workplace? No, Never. I couldn't fathom that. Yeah, no. <laughs> the, well, the funny thing is, it's go ahead, Terry. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, we, you know, yes, we both work remotely and we're both working from home, but she has her thing that she does. I have my thing that I do and she likes to keep it that way. And honestly, that is okay with me because that's the system we created, right? She doesn't necessarily have an interest in this kind of stuff. She likes to do what she does and we built a system that works for us. Perfect. Same thing, Brent and Terry, sounds like for you guys, you built a system that works for you. You both have your roles and what you do in the practice, and you're both very good at doing those things. Well, and I think what we realized, or the unintended consequence of going out on your own and being sort of entrepreneurial-minded is that once you go out on your own, you realize it's a lot harder than you thought it was going to be, but then you also realize you're officially unemployable because while it's 10 times harder, you also are probably never going to be able to transition back to like, clock punching and asking for vacation and all of those things. So it's not that it's easy in any way, shape or form, but you, it's, you just can't go backwards. So you have to make it work and you have to find groups and people and processes to make it work because the idea of going back to something else is just unpalatable. (laughs) I've often thought too, that it's harder, but it's also better. I don't know if that sounds weird, but you know, but that's how I would summarize it. I remember when Michael told me he wanted to be an entrepreneur. This was at like age 12, but that's what he told me. And I remember sitting him down and and telling him, listen, you know, this is great. Congratulations. But you officially made a choice in a career where you'll work 80 hours a week for yourself to avoid work 40 hours a week for somebody else. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so it's just the reality of being an entrepreneur. Now, look, we can build the systems in a way that we can gain our freedom. and, And that's what this is all about for sure. But Michael, sorry, I've derailed us so much. Where do you want to go next? No, I think this is great conversation. And and, and Terry, you said, you know, when you go out on your own, it's not always easy. So I was going to ask you guys, you know, it's an entrepreneurial journey for a reason. So was there ever, you know, a a low point or a failure point where you guys took a big lesson and learned from that? Oh, my God. There have been a million. Yeah. (laughs) I can remember it was COVID, I'm pretty sure. Uh, It's all running together, but I think it was COVID and like things were just stagnant. You know, we realized when we can look at it from a bigger picture, we were gaining market share and all these other things, but we reached a point where we were like, do we, how far do we want to keep pressing this? Do we get smaller instead of being in growth mode? And that's something that we've always, you know, tried to figure out and balance is like, how big do we want to get? Do we want to scale it back a little bit? Things felt really overwhelming in that time, but I think stayed the course and learned a lot of lessons, figured out how to convert virtually and do all of these other things. And I think that it, I don't know anybody that's gone through that doesn't run their business better, that isn't a better attorney, a better business owner. 
Yeah. And, you know, a better HR person, better with your staff. You have to figure that stuff out to keep people happy and employed during times like that. I'll kind of plus one on that. I mean, I think that when, you know, the nice thing about it, when we were going through that journey and trying to make these decisions, we were coming at it from a place of trying to maintain profitability. So it was more of a, mm. I know I can be profitable at this top line number. You, you know what I mean? Do we scale a few things back and make some adjustments, maintain a little better profitability till we kind of weighed this out? And then, you, you know, the decisions you're making once you get the systems in place are better decisions to have to make, you know, but it, there's always going to be, you know, setbacks and you just readjust and keep plugging along, I think. I, I'm I think curious. Done... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Terry, please. I was just going to say, I think if we didn't have like the certain numbers that we look at every day to guide us in those decisions, I can't imagine dealing with that and not having these benchmarks that we knew we had to hit. And when we weren't hitting them, well, what is the problem? How can we adjust it in this new climate? And I can't, I would just have felt really lost and blind without having those numbers that we follow to keep us on track. Well, and, and like afterwards, how important is it that you have you know, six months of expenses set aside when you go through something like that, like it just hits you over the head with, you know, <laughs> all of those all things. things we know, you know, it really, you know, it's, this is why that's important and why, yet, you know, in a good time, you're, you know, you're not necessarily seeing the importance of those things. So. Yeah, it's funny. When we were recording this yesterday, was I'm on, my extension was filed for my personal taxes. It's a strategy my accountants came up with years ago. Anyway, <laughs> we were about to pay. You know, so yesterday I got the number, and I realized that I had moved a bunch of free flowing cash into retirement accounts to defer taxes, but that affected free flowing cash because now I moved a bunch of money into retirement accounts, and a tax bill came, and I looked to Maria and I go. Oh, well, here's why this decision now has this ramification, right? So, you know, as a business owner, there's more, always more and more problems. But I want to come back to one interesting thing. Well, actually, I have two questions. First question is, okay, you decided to, nah, you didn't say keep it small, keep it all, but to scale accordingly, do you still maintain this mentality now that you feel like you've got a machine that you can steer based on the information or have you started to now see that the market has changed, you want to open it up again and start to grow again. What's your mentality there? We're, I think we're ready to grow. Yeah. Well, we're growing regardless. Like, yeah. I mean, we're double what we were before the pandemic. It's just wow. all that hard Great. work is coming to fruition. So you kind of can't, I mean, you can turn it off and scale back if you want, but now we're just in a better place to, you know, bring people on. I think for those few years, we were just scared to bring people on. And then it was, you know, so up and down, we didn't want to have to make decisions to let people go then. And so now that we feel confident that things are on a different path and trajectory, I think we're ready to let it rip. <laughs> yeah. So Michael, they brought up one other point that I'm curious, you could pivot off of whatever way you want to go, but they talked about, you know, the numbers, the information, the dashboards, the whatever, the statistics that we're able to tell them, we'll call them KPIs, that were led them to know what sure. was happening in their business. You know, we work with attorneys day in and day out. And a lot of times we run into attorneys that, that may be listening to this, that, you know, they're intelligent people. They always got straight A's. They were the smartest person in class. They're looked upon for advice and they don't want to be wrong or they don't want to admit they don't necessarily know something. 
do you find it's a struggle to convince them that there's information they don't know and they need to learn about in order to help grow their business? And Brent Terry, my question to you is like, did you ever have that moment too? But Michael, for you, do you run into that with other attorneys that are listening to this, that they're like, it sounds so simple. Why do I need to know how to have these numbers in this dashboard and these simple KPIs we're talking about? Yes. And I, I think what I find is that just that it, it is that simple. And I think that to an extent, some attorneys believe it's almost too good to be true because it's so simple that they attempt to overcomplicate it. And then what overcomplication does is leads to indecision or lack of action because now we've overcomplicated it. Now it's difficult to achieve. So I think just understanding and realizing it really is that simple from a numbers perspective, at least to just start taking the numbers, start reviewing them, start jotting them down. And you don't have to overcomplicate it, right? You don't have to go get fancy software to do this first. You can start with a paper and pen and just start writing your numbers down on a daily basis. So that way you've got them, but it starts there. And then once you do it, you start to build habit around it. And then you realize that it's not as complicated as it may seem at the onset. So Brent and Terry, as a plus one on that, like if you, if an attorney is sitting here listening to you and they're like, oh, well, yeah, I, I get it. You said lead set shows hires. Well, that makes common sense. Why do I have to know that? Or they're poo-pooing the ease of it, or they think that they already know everything there is to know and they're not, you know, ready to make that change. What do you say to them? And, and did you feel a little bit like that too? I, I don't know. I'm curious. So, I mean, I'm sure I'd heard that at some point, but I certainly was not focused on it. And I wasn't, you have to really get that intense focus on the key drivers of your business and know that the work you're putting in is going to efficiently move the needle. And, you know, in a law practice, there's so much going on. There's so many distractions. And especially, you know, in a bankruptcy practice or any type of you know, the phone rings and something happened with the client and you've got to drop everything, <laughs> you know? So you really have to constantly be coming back like to what matters and redirecting your attention at what's driving the business. Yeah. I think that it's, I think that if you asked any attorney that doesn't track those things, which is a lot of attorneys and that's, that's, we all start, we were yeah. the same. I mean, everybody starts there. Mm-hmm. Like what's your close rate? They'd be like, Oh, 80, 80, right. sure. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. yes. like, yeah. humble pie when you're yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> they said they were going to call back. They didn't call back. That's weird. Yeah. So I think it's important to start looking at that. Even if you're just basing it. I mean, I think at first we were like, well, we made this much money and we filed this many cases. So we're okay. But when you start, spending money on marketing and you start doing some of those things, you really got to track that stuff or it just gets away from you. I mean, I know so many people that have spent way too much on PPC and all these other things. And if you don't track it and you're not paying attention, you're just throwing your money away. So I've heard you say that before. You've actually seen people in our world, in our environment that you know what they're spending money on isn't working because you're 95% coming because you have all the data because you've been looking at it and tracking it and you're going, they're not paying attention to something because they're spending money in an area that's just not working the way that it used to. And you know what's true because because you have the information available to you. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think what's so important about that too is that when you're tracking that stuff, it might seem tedious or overwhelming, but most people are using some sort of CRM 
And now most CRMs have built these dashboards into it. So most people can probably do this with software they already have. And it allows you to sort of forecast and troubleshoot too. If you see that, you know, this month is okay, but we have no set appointments, you know, that's down or that, well, we have all these set appointments, but nobody showed up. What happened? You know, you can kind of forecast, like it's going to be a bumpy November if we don't fix these issues and figure out what's going on. And, or conversely, you're like, oh my gosh, we had how many consultations this month? Like, you know, and then figure out we might need more staffing to process these cases in the coming months. So it just allows you to have a better overview of what's to come. You know, I'm going to sound like the old guy in the room, right? <laughs> but I remember that Dan Kennedy used to tell me the story about how before technology for sending direct mail pieces out and all this fancy equipment, he had a cat that he would just have him stick the tongue out and lick the envelope, right? This was his story, right? <laughs> and so my version of that is like when we built the law firm in 2008-ish, 2009-ish, like... I, I had a CRM. There was no CRM for law firms. There was no, nobody had it. There was, the cloud was just coming around, but the CRM didn't know how to track all the things we needed to track in a law firm. And so I used to have to get gobs and gobs of data out of the CRM, send it over to somebody overseas, have them put it in Excel and do all their Excel magic with it and send it back like every night so that we could have a feasible report. And there was no dashboard or anything fancy. And so when I look back at what we had to do back then to make things work and what's available at the law firm owner's fingertips today from a technology perspective, there's almost no excuse to not have access to this, to this information. Would you agree with that statement based on where technology has come? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so much of it's free, all the AI stuff, or cheap. I mean, all the AI stuff coming out is such like, and obviously like there are cases where that's not worked out well for attorneys. I'm not saying to find your case law on it, but for managing your firm or, mm -hmm. you know, getting transcribed calls and Zoom meetings and things like that, I mean, it can save you so much time for so little cost and investment. Like spend a couple hours in a weekend, you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah I think that's spot on. I mean, there's, it's also crazy to just think about how far technology has come in just that period of time. It doesn't seem like that long, but wow. <laughs> when you put it that way and you had to send your data out to someone to put it on Excel to get that dashboard back, that's kind of wild to fathom. Yeah, but Michael, I know. You're the one that's in tune with technology. You're the one that's like, what do you mean? The AI machine didn't just take all that and do it for you? I don't understand why that didn't happen. Yeah, I, I know. Right, right. I, I know. You count, count your blessings. Someday you You'll be telling this story about how Probably. you had to tell yeah. the AI what to do and That's your right. kids or grandkids are going to go, what do you mean you had to tell it? Doesn't it just know what yeah. to do? Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it, it'll be an interesting time. So Brett and Terry, we, we got a lot of good detail there in terms of the journey and just some of the decisions you guys made. What was your aha moment? What was like that breakthrough moment for you on your entrepreneurial journey where things just started to click? I think there's been several. I think we keep, you know what I mean? You keep having those aha moments. But, you know, to be honest, I think one of the biggest aha moments that we had was when we went out to Arizona the first time. I mean, I, I, it really was when we went to a partners club meeting and started learning about the systems. I went from a place of like, Oh my God, how am I going to, you know, I mean, how am I going to continue to grow this thing to like, 
wow, we're really lucky to have this opportunity and this is, you know, what we can make happen, you know, in our business and it can, you know, serve us and kind of accomplish what we wanted to accomplish and felt a lot better about it. I think there's multiple aha moments though, you know. Well, and I think that masterminds and and groups like this are more common now, but five years ago, it wasn't quite as common. And I think for attorneys, it's like you almost needed permission, somebody to give you permission to focus on the business as much as you focus on the lawyering. And I felt like when we went, we got, we kind of got that confirmation. That's what we should be doing. And we came back and we set a goal. That was what I was thinking of for the aha moment of filing 20 cases a month, like, which, you know, now is kind of funny, but at the time, like that was, and Brent was like, we'll never do it. There's no way. And I was like, yeah, we'll do it. How many cases were you filing when you set that goal? 12? Maybe 12 to 15 probably a month, I would guess. Yeah. And so you set it at 20. You thought that was never going to happen. And how many did you file on average this year? Probably 30, 35 to Probably 35 40. to 45. Yeah, right, right in there. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, setting a goal. What a great... I do have a question for the attorneys listening. And this isn't a promotion of our world, never. I want to make sure that this is clear. You can go to anywhere. But how important is it, do you believe, for them to plug in some group somewhere where there are other law firm owners, not just attorneys, but law firm owners that are trying to figure this stuff out together? How important was it to have peers around you to try to guide you while you're going through this? Huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we were talking about earlier, we've probably heard or read, you know, what we're supposed to do or or something that may work in our business. But the key is the execution of it. So when you have a group that... A Laputka. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Charles. Yeah. So when you have a group of people that hold you accountable, they're all looking at the same things. It just makes that execution you know, flow better and it makes it much easier. Yeah. The people that, you know, we get to talk to every Friday because there's going to be times as you grow that you're just so bogged down that you can't think about implementing something new or spending an hour messing with chat GPT or whatever it is that you're doing. And then you talk to your peers and they're like, well, I did this and I did this and I did this. And it just reinvigorates you and re-inspires you to find the time. And we have, you know, people that we talk to that we aspire to. And then there's people in the group that started where we started that we kind of try to like tell what we did. And so it's just like such a good group. And so whether it's this or your local bar, whatever it is, you know, we wouldn't be where we were without this like group think that we have with everybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's still yeah, the power, power of the community is super strong. Michael, I mean, you've been in our community now for a few years and, and you, you obviously were in other communities outside of our world, but I would assume what, I mean, what's your opinion of the power of the community and how important it is to any entrepreneurial's journey? Yeah, I'm, it's huge, right? You've got other people that are running the same race as you. They're all trying to accomplish a similar type of goal. Uh, and you've got the accountability built into that. So having that accountability to be able to meet with a group 
on whatever basis that is, right? Uh, you, you've got that built in and it holds you accountable to implementing, holds you accountable to new ideas, holds you accountable to innovation. I just think it's so important, right? Uh, it can be really lonely to run the race alone and it can be very difficult to find the right information, get the right guidance. So having a group there is just so crucial, I think, to at least taking things to the next level and helping you continue to grow. That goes for law firm owners. That goes for any entrepreneur, right? Just having that group there is so important. But I'm curious, Brent and Terry, from because look, you guys have built a firm to a, a, a very impressive point. Despite going through COVID, you've still grown. And so what are some of the success habits that both of you guys do on a daily basis that helps you continue to fuel this growth? I think looking at just constant focus and looking at those KPIs and the numbers that, you know, drive your business and, you know, focusing on those where if you can identify something that's off, or if you can identify, hey, these changes that we made over the last week worked and we can see it in the data, those things I think are really the, yeah, the, if you were going to boil it down to kind of one yeah, I just think that oversight and, you know, I can remember one of our first meetings we went to and Rich was like, you could wake me up in the middle of the night and I could tell you these five numbers. And I was like, I don't even know where we bank. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and now I can do that. I mean, I know almost, you know, exactly like I can tell from the day and the you know amounts that we bring in, like we're a little bit off, we're a little bit slow, or we're coming up on a holiday, it should pick up on Tuesday. Like, I can just, because I look at it on a daily basis and I think to set goals and yeah. then, you know, track and make sure that you're on pace for those goals is the best way to move the needle. And then just get buy-in from your team with not necessarily daily, but you could do daily or weekly or monthly meetings to go yeah. over those things and, and improve and mm -hmm. inspect what you're expecting and all those, all the things you say. <laughs> Well, I will tell you, I, I got to hold myself back because I got a tear in my eye because it makes me so happy to watch your progression from that single example of, I don't even know where we bank, to <laughs> you could wake Terry up at two o'clock in the morning and she could tell you the five numbers that make the most difference for your cash position in your business. And boy, that is such a powerful statement. I mean, I do think we're privileged because Brent has because there's two of us. I think it's super hard for when there's only one. So you just got to find that person or carve out the time because I don't know that he could do that, but I also couldn't tell you anything about the bankruptcy stuff he's doing. So, you know, I think we're lucky that we can do that because there's two of us and we can implement in that way. Somebody has to do it though, right? So either you have to find, you have to replace yourself as the lawyer. If you don't have a husband and wife team like you have, and, and yes, uh, you know, husband and wife teams, I get to say, congratulations and my condolences, right? Because it works both ways. So, but if you don't have a husband and wife team or a great partnership of some sort and you're on your own, uh, somebody has to be committed to the numbers and, it, and the data. And if that somebody's not going to be you because you hate math, you, you hate, you know, doing it, it's not what you want to do. You refuse to do it. You refuse to learn it. Well, then you got to find somebody else who can, or if you're interested and you're hungry for it, then you need to go replace yourself as the bar card and have somebody else do the legal work while you go build the business. Because you just said it, Terry, best, it cannot be done, right? Okay. Somebody has to do it. 
So, Michael, I know we're coming to the end. I, I don't want to steal any more of the time that you have allocated. No, I did. this has been awesome. Brent and Terry, what's got you guys fired up? What's got you excited today? It could be personal. It could be business. What, what, what's got you excited? Go ahead. So You've we're, been excited lately. We're, yeah, so we're kind of redoing some of our processes. We're redoing our intake process a little bit, and I'm super excited for that. It's, you know, and also our signing appointments, just how we handle those. So we're redoing some of that. We got some information from actually one of the uh, other firms in our small group that's had success and they're kind of ahead of where we are. So we're implementing that. And that's what I'm fired up about now. I'm a little late in reading Greg Crabtree's book, but I did finally get through it. And I'm excited about some things in there that we're implementing as well. And just watching as we grow, maintaining that profitability, that uh, numbers and those ranges that he's talking about. Is that the um, simple numbers, straight talk, yeah. big profits? Yep. So one of the businesses he talks about a lot, Jack Stack with SRC, that company is actually in my hometown of Springfield, Missouri. Huh? And I knew Jack Stack's daughters growing up. But anyway. Huh. Yep. Wow. <laughs> I've just been, the focus has really been for me on as the workload has been increasing so much with this growth of, I've been tracking gratitude and goals because I've been really stressed out. So it kind of helps. And so my number one goal at the bottom, I always put is elevate Brent because in all of the, the changes that we've done and implemented, <laughs> he hasn't really gotten to get out ahead of it as much. <laughs> and so I don't get above it. And so I think that these changes that we're making are going to finally be that last like push over the line to get him elevated and up above those things to where he can be, you know, on the business more than in the business officially. So I'm excited about that. Well, I'm so excited personally that you guys are on this journey. You've been on it long enough to know now that it is a journey. It's never ending. Uh, it won't stop. I've got news for you. I've been on a little bit longer than you and it does not stop. And, and if you're fortunate that Savannah decides to want to go into business with you at some point, it, it gets worse. Because right now she wants golf. to be a dog groomer or a Broadway star. So, so far. Well, uh, great. Perfect. At go. the end of the day, my business is no different than yours. So <laughs> I'm sure everything you've taught her, she will learn. And, uh, you know, I, I went from golf three days a week to now working 40 hours by four, Wednesday again, because my son's back in the business and we're on a growth pattern, which is super exciting. But for me, it really is great. You know, your parents gave you a example of how to run a business as a family. You're doing that for Savannah. You're providing not only a solid income for yourself, a great foundation for your clients to benefit from. And you have the ability to decide whether you're going to grow or you're not going to grow, albeit you said that it feels like you're growing whether you want to or not right now anyway, because everything is working. So I just want to say congratulations on your journey and thank you so much for joining us today and giving some inspiration to those who would be listening and whether they be a husband and wife team or they're on their own or they're out there hunting and they, they now see, okay, there is a path to be able to take step by step and make these changes and plug into some organization somewhere that can inspire me to keep going. Michael, anything you want to add? Nope. I just really appreciate you guys taking the time. And for any law firm owners that would like to learn a little bit more about you guys or just reach out to connect, what's the best way for them to do that? They can email me at terry at westbrooklawgroup.com. I check Brent's email, so you might as well just email me. 
<laughs> That's a system we have. That's good. Yeah, there you go. I love it. But right now, you can just email me directly. Yeah. Make sure nothing awesome. gets missed. So. Perfect. Well, we appreciate you guys for popping on. And to the law firm owners listening, thank you for taking the time to listen. We got the gentleman's agreement around here. So we invest our time, money, and resources into making this content for you, which we love doing. This is not your first time listening or watching. We just kindly ask that depending on the platform you're listening or watching on, you hit that subscribe or follow button, turn those notifications on, drop a like down below for Brent and Terry and comment. Let us know if you've got any questions for them or this episode created any questions for you, but we appreciate you tuning in as always. And Brent and Terry, thank you again very much for popping on today. Yeah, hey guys, we, we appreciate you guys. Take care. We'll see you in Dallas. Take care. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.